Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Real Story Podcast. I am a total geek today because on this podcast, you know, we've interviewed some of my literary heroes, some really huge authors and writers and industry professionals. And today I get to sit down with with truly my new favorite author that I recently stumbled upon her work. And I'm so obsessed. Um, in this genre in particular, a psychological thriller, uh, domestic suspense, straight up murder mystery thriller novels, I read absolutely everything and everyone, and sometimes I'm disappointed and sometimes I'm not. And sometimes you stumble upon an author where you read their work and you're like, oh my God, I wish I could write a book like this. And Megan Collins, today's guest, is one of those writers. She is the author of The Winter Sister, Behind the Red Door, and her recent release, which we dive into today, into today on the podcast called The Family Plot, which I have literally told everyone about. It is so spectacular. Don't even question it. If you like books in this genre, just go buy it. Um, She received her BA in English and Creative Writing from Wheaton College. She holds an MFA in Creative Writing from Boston University, where she was also a teaching fellow. Uh, Megan has also taught Creative Writing. Um, at the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts and Central Connecticut State University. And as if that is all not enough, she is the managing editor of Three Elements Review. She is a Pushcart Prize and two-time Best of the Net nominee. And her work has appeared everywhere in print and online, um, including Compose, Line Break, Off the Coast, Spillway, Tinderbox, Poetry Journal, and Rattle. She lives in Connecticut. And today we really dive in not only about her book, but just about the industry itself. I think it's, again, so important if you are an author making it in the world, if you're lucky enough you know, to be publish and you're going the traditional route to be really honest about not only what it takes to get there, but what it takes to stay there. All the sacrifices that you make, all of the behind the scenes elements that aren't romanticized and idealized and idolized, actually. Um, So we have a very truthful conversation today about what it means to be a published author and what kind of responsibility that puts both on the author and the reader. So sit back, enjoy my conversation with the incredible Megan Collins, and then go out and buy all of her three books. Enjoy. Hey guys, I'm Rhea Fry, best-selling author, business owner, wife, mother, but most of all, I'm a human. And I'm Joe Tower, entrepreneur, producer, editor, husband, son, and I am also a human. As writers, we're always digging behind the story of publishing, ego, process, to get to the deeper truth of who we are and why we're here. While we're still pursuing that mission of the Right Way podcast, we wanted a platform where we could talk about being writers as well as being human. Now we'll be spending each episode talking with real people about real shit. This is the real story. All right, Megan Collins. Okay. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, hands down, you are my new favorite writer in (laughs) this kind of thriller, you know, psychological thriller suspense genre. Um, I read everything in this genre and stumbled upon your latest book, which we'll talk about called The Family Plot. But you are such a phenomenal writer. And again, we'll kind of get into that, but just thank you for bringing your gifts to the world because you are so wildly talented and I am a fan for life. So just (laughs) to get that out of the way. Um, But before we get into the family plot and, you know, just a little bit about you, I would love to actually start with your path to publication because on this podcast, you know, we talk a lot about just demystifying the publishing industry and so many people want to be published Um, But I'd love to hear a little bit about your process for getting an agent and your first book deal, really. Yeah. um, Well, first of all, thank you so much for all those kind words you said. That means so much, especially like, 
you know, I was like plodding along with my writing this morning and I'm just like, why do I do this? I can't do this. This is so hard. Cause you know, every day it's so hard. And so it's just really nice to hear that at the end of that to be like, okay, well it goes somewhere. It's like a glop of gross for a while, but yes. <laughs> it's somehow yeah, there's nothing gross about your end products, <laughs> your finished products. They're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So my path to publication, like a lot of people, was pretty rocky and sort of a roller coaster of emotions. Um, I actually, I have two manuscripts that never sold before I debuted. I actually first started looking for an agent in 2010 um, for one of those manuscripts, and I I got agent fairly quickly it was within like a few months so and to me that's quick with querying and everything um and we worked on revisions for that book and then she sent it out and she just couldn't it couldn't sell I got this I got weirdly the same comment from two separate publishers which was that the book was too dark for women which oh. was such an insane uh phrase in the first place and it wasn't even like I write really dark stuff now. This wasn't even that. Like I write suspense thrillers now. This was like a, it would probably have been categorized as women's fiction. Like, but it, there was like sort of a, a family trauma and tragedy that happened. And I think when they said dark, maybe they just meant bleak, even though I still have issues with that. But that really like was sort of, that's been like a thorn in me for a long time, that phrase. And like, that was sort of my introduction to like, they love, of the book, but they're saying this one thing about it that I have so many problems with. What do you mean for women? What do you mean too dark? What do you mean all that? So um, we ultimately couldn't sell that book. I wrote my, I wrote another book the next summer because I just really still wanted to see this dream happen. Um, and my agent at that time, um, I guess she didn't really connect with that book that I wrote. So she ended up dropping me as a client, which was really hard because, you know, when you go like the querying process is hard enough. And then when you get the agent, I think a lot of people often think, okay, I got through that huge hurdle. Like now the book deal is going to come next. Totally. And so to not have that first book deal or for that first book I'd written and then for her to sort of walk away from this other project, I was left just feeling like, okay, I think I'm just like, I'm back at square one now, which isn't actually true when that happens because you now have all that experience behind you of what to look for. And I knew then the next time I queried, like I knew some things I wanted to be different from the agent that I had had. Sure. Um, and so, but I did like that really set me back for a while. I just didn't know what to do. I was like, I have two manuscripts, one that's been in front of a bunch of editors, one that hasn't seen anybody. And I, I just didn't know what to do with that, if I should start writing something else or if I should keep going with one of those. So it took me like maybe a year or two to really start at it again, where I started querying with that second manuscript. And then I was doing that for definitely over a year. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason why I kept going with that one was because I kept getting a lot of positive responses from agents, either them wanting to see fulls or them saying, yeah, this came really close, but this or that. Right. So I felt like there was something there to keep going with. Um, but then I got to a certain point where I was just like, I've been doing, I've been like exhausting all my options on this. I don't think that I'm going to keep querying this book. But then the next day, like just kind of out of habit, I had this one site I would check that every week it showed like either new agents or agents who were like now open to submissions. And then I saw um, the woman who would become my agent and uh, I read her profile. I hadn't heard of her before and everything she said, just, it felt so perfect. I, I just like had this feeling like that seems like a good fit. So I sent it off. I think like later that day she responded wanting to see the full. And then like wow. within a week, she made, she offered to represent me. And, um, and it just, it felt like such a good fit. It has been such a great fit. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, I'm at that place. This was like now 2014 maybe. And um, 
I'm like, okay, I, I got the agent for the second time. Like this time it's going to happen. And it didn't, she tried to sell that book and she couldn't sell it. She got some, you know, some positive responses, but right. it still didn't happen. So then she was like, let's take a look at that other book that your first agent tried to sell because she had really only shown it, sent it to 12 editors, which at the time I didn't know that's not that many when, sure. when you're sending it widely. Um, and so I did a round of revisions with my new agent and she sent that out, got some little nibbles here and there, and then nothing happened. Oh man. Yeah. And luckily during that time I had started writing what would become my debut Mm-hmm. And I knew it was kind of hitting a different space. I knew that it was more in the like twisty, um, murdery type books that are that are really dominating the market. Mm-hmm. And um, so my agent was like, I think, you know, we have to shelve this other book and now focus on this and and we'll see what happens with that. So um, it took me I I it took me maybe like a year and a half, two years to fully get it together. Cause I was also teaching at the same time. So, um, I had to work mostly on my summer breaks and, um, then we sent that out. And I remember, you know, feel you, when you first send it out, there's all that hope and everything. All that hope. <laughs> yeah. And like, like anything can happen. Yes. And then like a month goes by and then yes. two months go by. And so this time it was six months And I remember it was the weekend right after um, Thanksgiving. And I remember thinking, I don't think this is going to happen. I think it's going to be another disappointment. And two days later, I get an email from my agent saying, an editor at Simon & Schuster wants to talk to you. When are you available? And I'm like, immediately, all the time, every time. (laughs) (laughs) And and then that ended up turning into an offer. so it felt like such a long roller coaster of a road. And I remember at my book launch for the Winter Sister, mm-hmm. this one man came to it who I had worked with once, but like we never spoke when we were working the same job. So I just, I don't even know why he was there, but he comes up to me and he says, he's like, he tells me about how he's been writing books too. And he's like, he's like, so what, you just get lucky? Oh, I was like, you don't like even actually, know. it's been a really <laughs> long, hard road, but thank you for coming to my book launch and kind of insulting me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you, during that time, because that is a long process. And I always say this industry is like 99.9% rejection and mm-hmm. you really do have to wait for that one. Yes. But so many people do get tired mm-hmm. of waiting for the validation and waiting for the industry to validate them on their timeline. So during that period, did you ever consider self-publishing? I did. There was a period where I like really started considering I had looked at um, some articles about it, seen people's success stories. I even, my sister um, does graphic design and I had her do like a cover and see what that would look like. And, and I honestly don't have a good reason for why then I didn't follow through with that. I think other than self-publishing is its own brand of really, really hard. And, it is. and yeah. I, I, I just don't think that I would have had the time and energy needed to do the hustle to make yes. it really successful. Um, but yeah, I did, I did think about it and, um, and, and I, yeah, I, I actually have no memory of like when I started thinking again about, no, I'm yeah. going to query instead. It's just kind of, I just started doing that again. And now you have a stack of books behind you because you were patient (laughs) and you did wait, which, you know, I always say this is not for the faint of heart. Like it, it takes such a long time and this is a long game. And we only hear about the success stories. Like that person who gets the seven figure, you know, book deal. And it just all looks so glamorous and it's completely not. It can be times, but so Um, I want to transition a little bit to your latest book, which I literally binged in less than two days called the family plot. And this storyline, I feel like is so unique, um, to a lot of the books that are out on the market today. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's about and where you literally came up with this idea? Because it's such a good one. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, so kind of the elevator pitch is that it's about this true crime obsessed family who gather to bury their patriarch after he dies. And um, when they dig up his grave in the family plot, they find the remains of their brother who they thought ran away and now are discovering that he was murdered. Um, and okay. the way that that came to me and this where this all started was actually like, usually my book ideas come to me with like a what if type question, like sure. what if this thing happened? What if that happened? And then I explore that. This one came a hundred percent from the title. Um, I was working on another project entirely and I was, get, I was actually going to be submitting those materials, like a sample chapters and a synopsis to my publisher and I was having trouble titling it. And so my husband and I were out at breakfast and I'm like, okay, I need your help. Like, I want something that points to the family aspect of the book. Cause my books always have to deal with like messy families. And so he just says the first family related phrase he can think of, which is the family plot. And I'm like, okay, no, that does not work for this at all. But I love that title um, yeah. because I was obsessed with you know, uh, the, the kind of the double meaning of plot, you have a cemetery, you have graves, you also have like secrets and scheming. Um, and it just seemed like, uh, just very lends itself to a thriller. So, um, I kept trying to work on that other project, but the family plot, like just that phrase just kept like rattling around in my head. And then I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. Like, it's just a title, but literally one morning I'm just getting ready and this idea pops into my head of families coming together to bury one member of the family. They find in that grave, another member of the family. And I was like, Ooh, that's dark. That's weird. I burst into the bathroom where my husband was brushing his teeth and I screamed the premise to him. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Um, and then I just, I just kind of like ran to my desk and like jotted down some notes and, um, wrote up this like two pages in the character's voice that was just coming to me based on that. Yeah. And, and I was so into that immediately. And so I started to think, okay, what is like, this is a crazy thing to have happen to a family. What would be the like best kind of family or most interesting kind of family for this to happen to? And I thought, especially because I'm someone who's interested in true crime too, take people who are obsessed with these stories of murder and put on murder in their own backyard of their own family member that they didn't know about. And I thought that would be something really interesting to explore what happens when you become the true crime story. Um, and so that's how the lighthouses, which is the family in the book were formed. And um, each of them, the starting premise of the book, you know, is finding the brother, but also that each of them reacts to that discovery in such an odd way. The mother is like manically baking cookies uh, because she oh, amazing. <laughs> because she's kind of going the exact opposite direction of the way she always was when she raised these kids. She named them after famous victims of murder. She um, taught them about true crime alongside teaching them English and science. Um, she would do murder reenactments in front of them. So she was not like Miss Susie Homemaker at all. And now she's like just baking cookies and the kids are like, what are you doing? Um, and then the oldest sister is she has had this popular Instagram where she does these crime scene dioramas. And she had been focusing those on the murders that happened on the island that this family lived on, where there was a serial killer who's been... Um, not caught throughout this whole time and now she's going to be doing a diorama of her brother's murder which it's yes, like the diorama thing doing? I was like you have the best little detail I mean I was just like oh my gosh this is so realistic actually it all felt so real oh good because it's because I was just kind of going like as bonkers as I could yeah. while still trying to keep it grounded um and then the the oldest brother, Charlie, he decides to make their house into this murder museum, basically, um, where he's going to put pull in all the artifacts of their childhood of like these murder reports they wrote instead of book reports, portraits they did of these famous murder victims. 
all with the intention to sort of show the people that have always been super suspicious of them that they have nothing to hide, that they're normal. But in doing that, he's only showing them how not normal they are. And so the main character, Dahlia, who's the twin sister of the brother who was found murdered, she's like, okay, I don't know what any of you guys are doing. None of this makes sense. Apparently I'm the only one that's going to like figure this out and find my brother. And so once I had each of their roles set and like and their characters kind of formed around the way that they reacted which all came from when I suddenly had that new idea of what this book could be I emailed my agent and I was like help I know we're about to submit this other thing but I've just had this idea and I'm really into it and she was like okay why don't you write up a little pitch for that and I'll send both to my publisher and then we'll see what they want to see And so I was writing the pitch and I was kind of creating it on the fly because I didn't have anything other than their true crime obsessed family. They find this body. So I was just like, and the mother is baking cookies (laughs) and the brother's making a murder museum. And those were just like details that I threw out that I think I initially intended as placeholders. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, no, I actually really like each of those things. And and it got me thinking, why is the mother making cookies like that? Why is the brother so focused on this murder museum? Why is the sister doing something so gruesome as to make a diorama of her brother's death? Um, and that led me into these characters, which then led me into the whole story. And so that's kind of like the the longer than you probably intended oh, no, it's story. So <laughs> Has it been optioned for TV or film yet? Um, it hasn't yet. Oh. We're trying to... something happened. I was like, this must be on TV. Like, that's just what I kept thinking the whole time. I'm like, this, this would just, people would be so obsessed with this story, whether it was a series or a movie, but it was so visual. Like I could see it so clearly. And I love all the themes. I've noticed the themes in your books besides murder, obviously, but (laughs) I felt like in two of your books, the winter sister and the family plot, definitely heavy on the sibling, Mm -hmm. just relationships. And I was just curious about that. Like if that's something that's really important to you that you've experienced firsthand because it, it, you know, it seems like an important um, element in your work. Yeah. I think that happened kind of accidentally. I mean, I do, I have a sister, but I don't have like a particularly interesting relationship with her. Like it's pretty run of the mill, Um, you know, talk to her every week and, and like, we like fought all the time when we were kids. Now we're friends, like that sort of story. Um, So I'm not sure what that is. I think, I think most of the time I'm actually more interested in writing about um, the parents and that sometimes it's just like the story dictates that there are also other people um, in that family. Absolutely. And, you know, something we talk about a lot on this podcast too, is just money and sales and being like the reality of being a professional writer because people way romanticize it. But are you currently, are you teaching? Are you currently full-time writer? I am trying to make full-time writing work right now um, for as long as I can. I was teaching up until um, the end of the 2020 school year. And, and it really, if, if, everything had gone the way like that I would choose my life to go. I wouldn't have stopped teaching yet because I really wanted to be like at a certain place before I would say, okay, I'm going to make this jump into full-time writing that I wasn't at yet. But um, I was too nervous to go back with COVID and like, especially the building that I was in, I was like, there is no way people are going to social distance. They're like, they're like, we are already on top of each other as it is. And, um, and I, and I I was just like, I'm someone who has a lot of anxiety anyway, and it's particularly like a health type anxiety. So that I was just like, I can't do it. That my mental health will be shredded. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take this leap and try to make this work. And um, so far it's been working. And, you know, there is always that insecurity with publishing, like that could stop working tomorrow. They could be like, nope, we we want nothing (laughs) else from you. Um, But um, part of it is I've also got this, um, I'm working on my next book, but I 
am doing a audible original podcast project with um, through two other thriller authors, Lane Fargo and Hallie Sutton. And we're going to be doing this fictional podcast. So just trying to like sort of vary the revenue streams has been helpful. The Audible Originals is amazing for that. I feel yeah. like so many authors have really leaned into that just as supplemental. Um, and it's it seems to be working out really well. Yeah. And it's really exciting. We had originally pitched it as um, a novel that we wanted to write and do as the Audible Original. Yeah. Um, and it would be like a different voice for each chapter going back and forth. But they came back to us and said, we think that this idea would really lend itself great to a completely scripted podcast. What do you think about that? And we were into it because we were like, that's a great tool to have in our back pockets and to and and it's a different way to play. And like, hopefully it'll feel different than my usual just sit down, like the sort of drudgery of writing. And yeah, so. Yeah. And when you pitch, because again, we've talked about Audible original um, originals a few times, but did you just do a pitch for them or did you actually have something already written? We had, we did like a synopsis, which was a few pages. And then we wrote um, the opening chapters. So yeah. like three or four chapters and um and it's all now going to be changed because it's not going to be narrative like that. It's going to be scripted, but, but they bought it based off of that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And again, that's a lot of things that are, are an avenue that I feel like a lot of people could tap into, because I also think you don't have to have an agent to submit, um, which is incredible for some people. Yeah. And I don't know, people, people just love the audiobook. So mm-hmm. I think it's super cool to, because when you make the leap to being a full-time writer, like you said, I mean, it's very inconsistent pay. You have to wait a long time, especially to earn out, first yeah. of all, with your advance. And then, yeah. you know, royalty sometimes just every six months. So it can it can induce a lot of anxiety. So having other things, I think, is amazing. Um, and speaking of that, like with goals. So I feel like a lot of writers come into being a published writer. And we just all have these canned ideas of what success means. Like I'm going to hit the New York times bestseller list. I'm going to, you know, um, be picked up by book of the month or whatever, which would be great. But do you have specific goals for you and is it different for every book or do you have this like one big overarching goal that you'd like to reach? That's a really great question because, um, I know that like the goals that I have are completely out of my hands. And so it's not really like they don't, I shouldn't even think of them as goals. Um, so like, yeah, I'd love to be a New York times bestseller. would love to, um, have a book made into a movie or TV show. Um, but it's really hard to think of those as, or to, you know, keep that mindset that it is a goal because it's, there's nothing I can do to make that like the things I can do on social media or whatever, like it's not going to do anything to make that happen. Um, and like, I, I've had really great things happen. Like my first novel was chosen for book of the month, which was like a dream come true. Um, family plot was just a Barnes and Noble monthly pick. And like, that was amazing. I didn't even like think that would be a possibility. (laughs) Yeah. And and a lot of people have been coming to it that way, which has been so awesome. Um, because, you know, I think when you, when your book comes out, if it comes out in hardcover first, you kind of think whatever happens with that, that's the life of this book. And you're like, and every time I then have a paperback come out, I'm like, okay, but if they wanted it, they would have already bought it. Like who's going to want it? now even though like paperbacks it's like a completely different thing because it's all about placement and and things like that um so when now the paperback has been doing so great because of barnes and noble um it's just it's been really cool to see and so i don't know i don't i I like i i think i hope for a lot of things but i also try to almost not hope for them because it's like, I don't want to feel like I've let myself down or I've let my publishing team down by not getting this or that, because it's really like, like for the most part, publishers 
make bestsellers and publishers are the ones who choose. This is what we're going to put. We're going to put this behind this book and then we're going to see it on the bestseller list. And very rarely is it a book that they just didn't see coming that, um, that gets there. So all you can really do is just keep doing the work and do write about something you care about and, and, and that's for the best. But I mean, yeah. you, you just nailed it. Like so much of what we want is actually out of our hands, which is mm-hmm. weird. Like in any other career, it's like, you want the promotion, you work to get the promotion and you can actually make things happen. And, and, this, you know, every New York Times bestselling author I've talked to, they're like, well, it was just luck and timing. Like, I don't know. I didn't set out to hit the list. And and then it just happened. It wasn't something they actually like sought out. But you are absolutely right in that, that publisher support, the lead title, them putting their resources behind you, mm-hmm. I think makes all the difference. And, you know, that leads me to another question. One of my biggest gripes about this industry is, the author platform and how important it is today to not only be a writer, but to be on social media, to be a marketing and sales guru, to be a salesman in general, um, and really having to get behind your books and promote your books. Um, are you a fan of marketing in general and social media? Um, and if so, or not, like, what have you found to be the most helpful tool for spreading the word about your books and getting sales, or is it all just annoying to you <laughs> and just kind of like, well, I don't know what works, you know, because it is so saturated and we do try so many things as authors. Yeah. And I think the, I think that the number one thing that I tell people um, who are kind of looking for advice in terms of what should I do social yeah. media wise is I always say only do what is going to be like legitimately fun for you. Um, because people can tell if you are just phoning it in or you're just like desperate for some attention for your book, which we're all desperate for attention for our books. Sure. But um, like, so, so I use Twitter. I kind of think of Twitter mostly just as like, um, uh, like a space to communicate with other writers. And I'm most of the people I follow are other writers mm-hmm. and um and just to like complain about writing and joke about writing and publishing and all those things. And it's a great way of building community. And, and I also like just post the weird, funny things my husband says on Twitter. It's just my space to like be who I am. And, um, and I, I do have a lot of fun with it. I mean, Twitter can be a nightmare for various, but I just have fun with it. And, um, I know that like it hasn't, you know, it hasn't led to like thousands of sales or anything, but I know that organically through making those relationships through then connecting with readers on there, um, that it's definitely sales. And then, um, Instagram, I kind of use as, I mean, in the same way, like, because when, um, I actually, right a few months before the winter sister came out, um, the author Brady Godfrey, who's debuting twice actually this year with a co-written book and her debut thriller, um, which sounds like an amazing and also insane year. Yes. But um, she was the one, she was like big on Bookstagram at the time. And she told me like Bookstagram, Instagram is really the place for an author to be, to try to get like word about their book. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do that. I don't like, I don't, I don't do anything interesting. I sit in my house and I read and I pet my dog. Like, I don't know what I'm going to show pictures of, but I started showing pictures of my dog and I started showing pictures of what I'm reading and writing about what I'm reading and doing reviews. And, um, sometimes I like do posts about my writing process. Sometimes I do like just a little post with my writing space and just like, and so again, it's just like things that interest me. And if people are into that, they'll gravitate to that. And if not, like, I just, I like, I don't have the personality for TikTok. Like I think people who do are, I'm very like, I admire that, but I, I'm just not someone who's going to like be really peppy on a video and like do whatever. And so I'm just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I know that some authors have had incredible success on TikTok, but I actually, uh, my editor said a really comforting thing, which was just, she was like, 
99.9% of the time, any success that somebody has on TikTok is because of other people organically Mm -hmm. talking about their book and it has nothing to do with anything they did. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take that as my permission to never join TikTok and do that. So, yeah. So I just, I think that it just has to feel organic and it has to be something you actually want to share and want to talk about. Like, I want to talk about the books I'm reading. I want to talk about writing. So, and I want to show people my dog because I think she's the cutest thing on earth. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you nailed it in terms of like doing what it is you actually want to do. And that doesn't mean being on all the platforms if, if you don't want to, because Mm -hmm. it, it is distracting. I mean, it's distracting from the work and most authors I know it's like, they spend most of their time on social media and promoting and marketing and less and less time on writing, which is what we really set out to do in the first place. So I am such an advocate of like getting back to the work Mm -hmm. and, you know, using that as a tool when it's necessary. But I think the conversation, it's just become so integral with like being a writer and you got to have a community and, I don't know. I always question that. And I'm like, is this the most effective use of our time? Because our time is so limited. Um, And and in the same vein as like the author platform, um, I'd love to talk about launch, like book launch and how you approach book launch. Because I think, you know, especially a lot of first time writers, it's a very overwhelming thing to launch a book and to like, okay, especially if you're like kind of an introvert, like have a party and do all these events. And what have you found to be most, um, I don't know, not even helpful, but just what moves the needle for your books in terms of events or, um, do you do a lot of digital events? Do you have a party? Do you say yes to a million things or do you really pick and choose how you launch a book and, and what you do for that? Um, originally I think I said yes to everything because yes. I thought you had to, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and also it's like, you want to talk to me about my book. You want me to talk about my book? Like, okay. Um, but going through with the winter sister, I would have, I sometimes like the events I expected to be the big events that a lot of people would go to, there'd be like six people there. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and I drove 45 minutes to get there totally. and was like speeding because, there was traffic and now I was going to be late and all. And so it's like all this stress. And then like, there was one event that, um, this local bookseller who set up, she did, she would do this, um, book club every month at this local brewery. And she said, yeah, you'll just come. It's our book club. And like, usually book clubs are like, I don't know, maybe like 10 people at most. And so I'm like another, like 10 and under, like whatever there's beer, I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) And there were like 70 people there and it was amazing. And so, so like you, I found that you really never know what's going to end up being a big event and what isn't. And that usually when I think I know what something is going to be, it it turns out to not be like that. So, so it is hard. And I am having to like, kind of be more selective um, just to like, be aware of my time and my energy because yes. I'm still, you know, when, when you're promoting and launching one book, you're usually still writing another. And, yep. um, but when things turned virtual for, uh, with the pandemic, um, my second book behind the red door was coming out and we had already set up like the whole book tour events that were going to be in person. And then we're like, okay, well, these can't be in person anymore. And we pivoted them all to virtual. And when we had the in-person one, they were like, six or seven events. And like, that's fine because the people you go see at this one store, they can't be at this other store or whatever it is. You're in another state. And then we did them all virtual and we quickly realized like, there's only like, yes, more people, anybody can come to these virtual events. But like, if every day I'm like, and now I have this virtual event here and now I have this virtual event here, I still have the same audience who would either go or not. So when we did the family plot and we were thinking about, because that was still like, I could have done in-person events for the family plot, or I could have done them virtual. I was still more comfortable just doing things virtually. Um, And so I, I was like, I think we only need like three of these events, Um, which my team was totally, they were like, yes, totally agree. Um, And, and that, and then like, I would do, I would try to just do the, the podcasts or the, 
interviews that I was really interested in that seemed fun. Like, like you asked me about this and I was like, yes, that sounds great. But if something seemed kind of like, like, and I'm, I'm not like, I don't want to disparage any podcast or any interview or anything, but if it just felt like the energy that I'd put into it yes. um, would be taking away from else, from like the energy I needed to do for my work, I was able to make those decisions. Amazing. I do think that's really important. And it is really hard to say no. Um, <laughs> even like, like I've had to say no recently to some authors coming to me for blurb requests. And that really like, it hurts to say no, because we've all been in that position of asking for the blurb. And, but I'm just like looking at my schedule and I'm like, I just like to be a human, a functioning human, like I can't put another thing on my plate. And no. so it's really only in the last year or so that I've really started to figure out like, I need to say no, even if like in a perfect world, I want to do this thing or I want to help this person or whatever it is. No is my favorite word. It, it just, <laughs> it's become my favorite word because it it's just, we're so reachable all the time and there's just so yeah. much to do and so much you could do. And it all gets to be too much at some point. And speaking of that, I'd love you to take us through a typical writing day. I mean, everyone's so different. Some people write every day, some people write all day, every day, some people don't. So mm-hmm. what, what does a typical day look like for you? If there is one. So typically if my deadline isn't for like months, mm-hmm. um, like a comfortable number of months, then, um, my, goal, I usually set like a really reasonable goal for the day. And for me, something really reasonable is 500 words. Yes, I can usually do 500 words. Um, and I set it so low. I mean, for some people that might not seem low and that's fine too. Um, but I set it there because whatever I do over that, which mm-hmm. could be a hundred words, could be 500 words, could be a thousand words, I get to feel like a rock star and I get to feel like I did the best. And then you go into the next day being like, well, I wrote this many words over my um, word count right now. However, um, I have a deadline coming up. I'm actually in the process of like completely rewriting my fourth book, um, like keeping the premise, keeping the characters, but rewriting the whole plot and trying to do it by July 15th. And so I had to double my like reasonable goal to a thousand words per day. So Mm -hmm. my routine with that lately has been, I try to get to my desk by nine o'clock. And then I always say like, I'm going to just start as soon as I get to my desk. But then of course, like I start looking at Twitter or (laughs) and then it's like nine 15 and then nine 30. And I'm like, Oh no. Um, And so because I know that I'm working with this goal of a thousand words per day, which for me can sometimes feel like, really a a lot. And so, um, I try to hit 500 by the time I eat lunch. Um, so that when I come back from lunch, it'll be like, okay, I just need to do that again. Um, and some days I do, and sometimes I just can't. And, but I, that's kind of what I aim for. And then, so when I either whatever comes first, that 500 words or lunch, um, I, break for lunch. I take my dog for a walk so that I can go like kind of disengage from it for a little bit. Um, listen to a podcast or an audiobook or something while I'm going there. And then I come back, sit back at my desk again, like go on Twitter or whatever <laughs> until I like force myself to get back into it. And then I try to write the rest of those words. And I, usually try to go over that 1000 so I can build a little cushion for any days that come up. Cause I'm the way I've built it. Like I need to hit that thousand pretty much every day in order to get this done on time. So, um, I always hope to like build a little cushion, but some days you just can't like, that's all you have. And I'm because I'm on this really, for me, escalated schedule. Um, I'm trying to be very mindful of, Um, when I feel myself pushing against that wall to not just keep pushing for the sake of pushing, because I know I need to come back the next day and do it again. And if I'm just going to like run myself ragged from day to day, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to make it, I'm going to just like implode at some point. And so um, I just kind of go until I, I really feel that like, okay, I can't really do this anymore today. And then 
And then I go and I read or something and try to just do something that refills that creative well and, and try to do something that takes my mind off it completely, even yes. though like things are still sort of working in the background and will kind of pop up with ideas. But um, as much as I can, I like to disengage from that. And I consider that in a way, like part of the work of doing that. It is part of the work. I think yeah. it's one of the most important parts. If you don't clear space to process and really think things through, it's it's so hard um, yeah. otherwise. And we're consuming so much that sometimes we, we don't have that time. Like I often go, like after I'm done writing or working because I run a business for writers. So I'm always writing for other people all day, every day, but just going for a walk without my phone and just mm-hmm. letting, <laughs> letting everything kind of come in. I think it's, it's such an important part the thinking about it and, and yeah. processing for sure. Um, I love that too, about the 500 words, because I'm someone who, who's like, I've got to do at least, you know, 2,500 words a day. And like, sometimes that's just really not helpful and not mm-hmm. possible, but the 500 words. And that's what I was going to ask you too, because you seem every word in your books seem, it seems like you spend so much time on getting the right word and just being very precise and methodical about your writing. So I was curious if you are a writer who kind of takes her time or if you just like, you know, are a fast and furious writer, um, because how, you know, a lot of times you don't get a huge deadline to write a book, you get a year or a year and a half. It's like, cool, you got to get it done in four to six months. So when do you like, what's the timeline typically, um, for you to get like a completed first draft? Um, for the ones where I've been on deadline and been under a contract, uh, I think I had like six months to do behind the red door. And then I think I had like four and a half months to do the family plot. Yeah. And then now, then when I was working on my fourth book, um, it actually worked out that I was going to have like eight months, which I was like, this is the most luxurious thing yeah. that's ever happened. And now I'm having to rewrite the whole thing in three oh, months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been but, um, <laughs> what's funny is that I, when I was writing my first two novels, the ones that never sold, mm-hmm. I wrote so fast. I wrote like a chapter a day and my chapters are usually like 10 to 12, maybe even yeah. more pages long. And like, I can't do that now. I, I, like tap out at four pages, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. um, and I don't know what changed. I don't know how I went from that to this, but, um, I do like the thing I find, I mean, I always, I always complain about writing and I always say writing is so hard <laughs> and people always say, well, what's your like least favorite part about writing? And I always yeah. say my least favorite part is whatever part I'm doing then, whether it's drafting or revising. Or whatever. Um, but the thing I do really derive satisfaction and and joy from is, is kind of working on the sentence by sentence level and getting it to sound good and be musical. And I have a background in poetry. I actually went to grad school for poetry. And then when I graduated from my MFA in poetry, I immediately started writing novels and I'm not sure what that says, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, so still finding the poetry in creating poetry in a suspense novel, in a thriller, making sentences or images that are going to be memorable and make somebody see something in a new way. Like that is what I love in poetry. And that's what I love doing in fiction. Um, So I do spend a lot of time like making sure the rhythm of a sentence is right. That making sure the rhythm of this sentence next to the rhythm of this sentence works together. Um, And, and that's, and that is the part that I really love. Absolutely. And you can tell, I mean, it really shows up on the page, especially in this genre where sometimes it's really not about the writing. Mm -hmm. It's more about, you know, the plot and you have both and you do them both so well. Um, I just think it's really a step above. Um, Last question before our, our short little lightning round. What do you think people often misunderstand the most about this industry, about the publishing industry and being a published author? Um. That's a great question. I think people think or misunderstand that um, they think if you write a really great book, you're going to have a really successful book. And it's just not true. And there are some really terrible books 
that have been incredibly successful. And there are amazing books that nobody's ever heard of. Yep. And, and it's really hard to accept that, let that you work as hard as you can to make it be good, to make it be something people will want to read. And then you feel at the end, like, okay, well, yeah, I'm proud of this. I think I did what I set out to do. And then that doesn't matter. Like that has so little to do with whether a book succeeds. And obviously like, that's not like a completely black and white thing because books do spread by word of mouth a lot of times too. Um, But I think people think it's a meritocracy and that if you've written the great book, you will get the great deal and you will get all the, all the things that come with it. Um, But that's not always true. And, um, and I think the other thing is that people misunderstand is, which we touched on before is just that like, Oh, you publish a book now, now you're like a millionaire. Oh Oh God. Could that not be? I mean, sure. You can make, you absolutely can make money, but it's, it is not a black and white, you know, like write this book, get paid this much Mm -hmm. money and live happily ever after. Not at all. And I also think, um, yeah, I, I think people don't realize, um, how almost arbitrary so much of the things like advances are that that somebody who's debuting one year could get a $20,000 advance and someone else gets a $200,000 advance. But if you read both books, you might be like, these are equally good. And what is the thing? What, what, what did it? What did do it? I mean, that's what I'm always curious about. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, know some authors that get, I mean, have been, have hit almost that million dollar mark with their advances. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, it's, it, it is, there's just such flux. Yeah. Um, and we do put so much emphasis on it and used to back in the day, it's like an advance was an advance. Like you got paid enough where you could go away for a year and write your book. And now it's just, it's such a saturated market. Um, publishers are putting up less and less mm-hmm. and up front and it's, it's harder and harder to, to make that leap and, and jump to being a full-time writer and feeling financially supported, which I hope, you know, I hope that changes at mm-hmm. some point we can wish anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So we love to end, um, with just a little lightning round. So kind of just saying the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. All right. So best moment as a published author. Oh man. I feel like I had, I feel like the lightning round pressure um, to have it come out real quick. Um, I feel like there is one and I'm not thinking of it and I'll think of it later, but I will say one that's coming to mind right now. Um, When the winter sister, my debut came out, the second event that I did, um, which was in Boston, I, I knew that my um, former poetry professor from college. She was like my advisor. She was like, I loved her. I knew that she was coming. So I see her in the audience and I go up to her and I'm like, hi. And I, I kind of noticed that there's like a woman next door, but I don't really think anything of it. And then, and then she's like, hi, Megan, this is Alice Hoffman who oh she's God. like friends with Alice Hoffman, which oh. I also knew, but never thought like oh. Alison Hoffman's going to be at my event. And I just like my, like Alice Hoffman is such uh, inspiration to me. Her writing is gorgeous. And so my jaw dropped. I think my voice went like three octaves higher. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm so and like just words tried to come out. She asked me to sign a book for her. And I was like, oh um, can you sign a million? For me? <laughs> that is an amazing moment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a, yeah. I love that about this industry too, right? Like you can just bump up against your literary <laughs> hero and then you're kind of on an even playing field, which, yeah. is, which is really amazing. Um, what is your biggest thing you've learned on your path to publication? Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that there, no matter like what good thing happens, you're still going to have those lows after that. Um, and that it is just a journey of highs and lows. And you kind of just have to hope that they all kind of even out in the end to be for the good overall. Um, but, you know, I think, I think people sometimes think that you just keep going up and up and up at a, at a steady clip, but it's really 
lot more up and down than that. And you just kind of have to accept that this is what happens. Yes. Oh, I love that answer so much. Um, Favorite thing to do when not working? I would say I always get uh, nervous that I don't have hobbies because like my only hobby I think is reading, but I'm like, I can't really even count that because it's so tied to writing. You can though. I said the same (laughs) thing recently. I was like, I need some hobbies. Mm -hmm. Adults, this needs to be a thing like outside of. I don't do anything. I write, I read, I sleep, I eat and I watch TV. Like that's it. Yeah. I mean, kind of most people, right. (laughs) Um, if you weren't a writer, you'd be, I always say a teacher, which is kind of a cop-out answer because I was a creative writing teacher. (laughs) Um, but I mean, I guess, I mean, I really did love teaching. So I think I'd probably be like an English teacher or something. Yeah. How do you stay grounded in this world that we live in? Uh, I guess my answer is so bleak. I guess it's just like comes from the feeling that like, I'm never doing enough. I'm never like succeeding enough. So I always feel like the world is grounding me as is like, well, you're gonna, you're not a hotshot author. Oh, you've had three books published. Nobody cares. Like, um, like, it's just, you're, you're met with so much resistance in publishing all the time. I think that, I'm just like, I'm just going to toil away and do what I'm doing and hope, really hope that something good happens. But like, I'm like, most of the time I'm like, it probably won't like, and that's just, I mean, it's crazy though. In this industry that, I mean, I feel the exact same way. And I've actually said that being, becoming a published author, like it stole my joy there for a while and made me Mm -hmm. so jaded and just so like, is this really, is this really what I want to be doing? Um, it's, it's really interesting how, how we grapple with ourselves Mm -hmm. and and how we feel in any given moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, wine or beer, um, beer fiction or nonfiction fiction. Um, best book you've read in 2022. Oh God. Um, probably, <laughs> uh, I know I'm, I need to refer to my phone because I know it's in there. Um, I really loved Wahala. Um, Oh God, who's the author? Um, Nikki something. I listened to that on audiobook and it was just so good. And it's just these three women's voices. And it's just about like kind of the complicated female friendships and, and the things that can kind of, um, disrupt those a little bit. It's so good. Amazing. Um, what, or who, if it's a person has had the biggest impact on your writing? Um, I would say it's many persons, many people, um, in that it's just like the, all the authors that I have read and loved and, um, obsessively read and, you know, those authors that you'll buy any book that they have. And, mm-hmm. and like I mentioned, Alice Hoffman before, like her writing, um, really influenced me in that, like, I saw that you could, you didn't have to sacrifice story for really good writing. You don't have to sacrifice really good writing for story that you can marry those two things together. And I think any author that does that, um, it's always, like something I strive to do in my writing. Oh, I love that so much. Um, and then lastly, I've got a couple to choose from. One thing you wish all writers knew, maybe first time writers specifically. Um, I wish they all knew and could really like, because I know this, but I still struggle to like internalize it. Um, I wish they all knew that like their value as a writer does not depend on any outside success Um, because this industry makes you feel like if you don't do this, 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 if you don't get this, if you're not on this list or whatever, like your, your book isn't any good. And, um, and you know, it's no one person or one role in publishing that's doing that. It's just like this kind of beast that's gotten, a little out of control. And, um, and I think like, once you start being a part of that, it can take, like you said, it can steal the joy, joy, because you, you, 
you have this dream. And then when you realize the dream, you get the book published or whatever it is, you realize, okay, well, there's a reality to that. It's not actually a dream. It's a real thing. And with that comes so many like flaws in the system and things that you are up against that you never would have thought of. And now things you have to consider that you never would have, like you never had to think of before. Um, and, and so it's easy to kind of tie your feeling of value as a writer to those things when really it's just such a separate thing. And it's, it's, it's so hard though, to actually like, cause like I said, I know that, but I still grapple with that too. I think we all do. Oh, that is such invaluable advice. Um, lastly, where can people connect with you, find out more about you and your books? Um, on Twitter, I'm at, I'm Megan Collins on Instagram. I'm at Megan Collins writer on Facebook at Megan Collins writer. And my website is megancollins.com. I'm in those places, but I'm not on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Nor am I, you will never find me there. (laughs) Megan, thank you so much. This was so amazing and such a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Right Way Presents The Real Story. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment. And for more information on The Real Story and Right Way, visit rightwayco.com.